What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode, another week of A Little More Good. Thank you for tuning into the show. Excited for this week's one. Uh, as always, I'm Dean and uh, joined by my best partner in crime. What's up, everybody? Zach here. Yo, yo, yo. We're uh, especially excited to drop this week's episode because it's kind of one of those collaborative episodes, which we, we're always about collaboration. And um, it's the, the next installment of our collaboration with um, Judy Brooks, the Medicine of miniseries, our immersion miniseries. And this week, uh, we're bringing you the Medicine of Sound. And Judy, as always, brings a, a, sp- a special guest along with her. And she brought someone who is fascinating. We love this conversation with him. Mike Reed from uh, SoundQuest is his, is his job, is his thing that he's doing in the world. Healing people through sound, sound bath events. And also, and we kind of get into this on the pod, the, the unique next step of creating space to train people and pass on this gift of healing through sound as, as a sound healing um, kind of teacher, which is great. I was really blown away by uh, Mike's energy, and I always love the dynamic that Judy brings to the conversation. Yes. It's always exciting, you know. You know, you're gonna dive deep into wherever wherever the river roams, and uh, yeah, Mike uh, really blew me away with uh, sound medicine and and the, the power of vibrations and frequency and, and what that means and and in manifestation and embodiment and how that can kind of heal ourselves and connect us deeper to humanity but also to kind of the the core kind of beings that uh you know share this planet with us whether it be nature or uh just kind of the the rhythm and frequency of of plants animals humans tables even you know we get into all of it it's all just vibrating just all particles vibrating particles amazing what is this table so uh please do enjoy check out mike at soundquest he's got some amazing offerings there yeah Uh, even if you are interested in becoming a sound healer yourself he's got some incredible courses uh for yourself to kind of take and explore that's right and it's really helpful if you go to his uh his instagram at SoundQuest, you'll find him there, or SoundQuest.ca is where you can find him, and he's got links to even all of the different uh, and upcoming sound baths that he's doing in and around the Lower Mainland, kind of from Vancouver out to Langley, Whistler, Port Moody, uh, White Rock. So there's many where you can, if you want to experience Mike and some of what he's uh, up to, you can you can check him out live in person. He also has his YouTube channel, so you can dig in and um, really really see what he's all about um this was such a fun conversation we loved it we obviously talked about all things sound but even some of his own journey um, discovering physicality and movement and martial arts and so it was really really fun and as always um judy just like leading us through with reflection intention and um posing some questions for us some considerations to to wonder on and to reflect on and so just in so many ways a really really meaningful uh and fun conversation between us judy brooks and mike reed of soundquest all right learning the language of vibrations with mike and judy before we roll on to this week's episode this week's episode was brought to you by athletic greens Zach and I have been on the AG1 for a while, really, really loving it. 
It's so simple and it's so pure. 75 high quality ingredients, vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics. It's got ashwagandha in there for anti-inflammatory purposes. It's truly your one-stop shop for all things daily nutrition. And I love it because it's so easy to use. We call it the wake and shake. Yes. I used to have an embarrassingly large pantry just of supplements. I mean, I was kind of proud of it, but it was expensive and confusing and you didn't know what to mix and match. And uh, honestly, I've reduced that, live in that minimalist supplement life now, uh, all thanks to AG1. It's got everything that I was previously using all in one easy and convenient and delicious uh mix it's got everything i want from probiotics to mushrooms um to 75 amazing uh nutrients uh, that are prebiotic probiotic energizing you know supporting the the microbiome all all the things that i was looking to check off so uh, if you want to minimize your supplement life into one delicious functional great uh great option i recommend the ag1 that's right. Wake and shake, baby. It's so good. I happily recommend it too. And we're we're happy to share that Athletic Greens wants to make it easy for you. And we're gonna we're gonna hook you up with uh, a little a little special gift and special offering. Athletic Greens is gonna give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash more good. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash more good. Get on it. Get on the wake and shake. Take ownership over your health. Pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance with that AG1. There we go. On to this week's episode. All right, all right. Welcome back to another week of a little more good. We're... Uh, you know, diving deep into a new series with our, our good friend and co-host here, Judy Brooks. Judy, tell us what we're what we're getting into here. Yeah, well, thanks, guys. First of all, so great to be back. And this is um, sort of a four-part series. Um, we started with uh, with Robbie Bent, who I think just got dropped today, and it's really a medicine series with the idea of medicine being um, something that takes you, you know, closer to creator, closer to source. Um, that, um, yeah, practices, I would say. Practices, ritual, devotion, all the things we've been talking about over the last year. And so Robbie was the medicine of peak experience, and I'm so thrilled to have Mike Reed with us today. He um, is a sound healer, and it's the, the music of sound, or the medicine of sound, is just how sound uh, works for us in terms of, of healing. And so, uh, hey, Mike, nice to have you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Um, I'm going to actually start with a reading. Yes. And then I'd love to jump into um, sort of um, framing for Mike, and, and then, of course, you guys uh, jump in as you want, of um, wh- why and how sound came about in his life in terms of as a healing modality, as a practice, as his medicine. And and I'll tell you a little bit about how we met and, and why I think that why I would love to have him on and why I think he's so, so proficient at this, so proficient at this. So um, this is Richard Wagamese, and of course everything is going to be about music and sound and um, healing today. Uh, Yeah. When the drum beats, it resonates beyond your body. When the drum beats, it resonates beyond your body. It becomes the heartbeat of creation as it was meant to be. To sing with it is to offer a blessing to all that is and to receive blessings back. 
That's why drums echo. Put your hand on your chest. Close your eyes. Feel the drum in your chest. Sing with it and blessings become your breath, indrawn and expelled, emptying and filling all the world at once. Feel the drum in your chest, sing with it, and blessings become your breath, indrawn and expelled, emptying and filling all the world at once. Yeah. So much in that, but the reason I chose this one in particular is I think that your journey began with the drums. <laughs> True story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I'll let you tell it, but can you start before you found your way into sound healing? Because your first um, your first medicine of music was actually um, the drum, and it wasn't in, in a sound bath. It was in a, like, group <laughs> so tell us about that yeah well music has been part of my life since i was a little kid and uh i started actually with the piano when i was like really young i think most kids start with piano lessons right yeah and then um i thought the electric guitar was way cooler so i started playing guitar and i had my first band when i was 12 and we were in elementary school and we played in front of my school and that was like the biggest deal ever at that age you know? yeah we, we like played it in an assembly in grade <laughs> seven. And uh, then from there, you know, I was in like bands uh, through high school and I switched to the drums when I was 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, you know, into um, fast forward to university, I was playing in like college bands and stuff like that. And um, I was going in a direction career wise when I was like in my early 20s that I didn't like I was more passionate about music uh, rather than going this kind of university degree get a corporate job type route that all a lot of my friends were going in and I kind of took a u-turn on that and I said nah I don't this isn't I'm not feeling this and uh, I went down to LA and went to music school down in Los Angeles at Musicians Institute and um, really started rubbing elbows with like the pros down there like real legit uh, drummers that you know you would know that are in like actual like big bands like and, not grade seven bands like no like, <laughs> like, like, just like professional level professional. Uh, musicians you know and um and then i came back up here and started gigging with a bunch of different bands and um as a drummer yeah and uh, well tell us first of all your what was the name of your first group because yeah. come on that's gotta be like grade seven like grade oh seven God. i think i was just i i I was wearing a, a special blend hat, yeah. you know, special blend was like a snowboard company. And yeah. that's what you became. And that we, we called our band blend because we just had to like come up with a name for the assembly. Yeah. So we just, that's the so name. So drop some other names of bands that you had throughout yeah, that period give of time. It, oh give God. us, Come give on, us the, give us, give us the name list. The Wikipedia page of like for, formerly member of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> blend. We had, uh, <laughs> there, we, I was in a punk rock band called likely to fail nice did you guys which, which which you did was <laughs> a, <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen wayne's world yes remember the episode where they're like who's playing tonight or the, the i think it's in the sequel who's playing tonight oh so and so so and so and the shitty beatles and they're like are they any good and he's like no they suck so it's not just a clever name <laughs> yeah and then uh, i was in this band stars of boulevard for a very brief period and then i was in um a band called in harm's way 
Um, and that was, you know, a lot of fun. We, it was more of like a party band at that point. And yeah. We, we were just for entertainment and we would like kind of do what like DJs did, but with real instruments, like we would, um, we would transition songs and like mix, remix songs and stuff, but like as a band instead of like, you know, DJs do. Yeah. Yeah. And we would, we would get creative with like covering other people's music in our own way. That's you know? cool. What, um, why music? What did it make you feel? Um, it, it just felt very natural, you know, just kind of comes out of me and, um, I, you know, it just felt natural and it, it makes me feel present. It's like, I think when you're playing music as a musician, it's one of the most, um, stimulating activities you can do as a human because you're thinking about the future, but you're being present at the same time. So it's like activating so many different parts of your brain as you're playing an instrument so um i i just get into this kind of um i don't think about anything else except for being in that moment you know it's like it's almost like an active meditation mm, you know? mm. okay let's bring us forward to now and i think that we'll leave off at the band of this in harm's way because um again these are just from conversations you and i've had but your movement from music in in that genre over to when you um found sort of your path and your medicine in sound healing and i think it's appropriate that the last band you mentioned was in harm's way because you're kind of in harm's way like that was your transition yeah i mean as fun as it was at times it was also rather unhealthy lifestyle right because Mm. i was playing in venues that were just full of alcohol everywhere we would always be given like a big bar tab as the band and then there'd be an after party and then you know it was just like i was surrounded by people that were just like drinking and drugging and Mm -hmm. and uh you know it wasn't healthy it was just really when did you know that that had to stop um in my late 20s i started to wake up and say okay like i'm not going down a good path here i need to transition out of this scene and then how did you do that well it was kind of a catalyzing event through through being in that band i met a woman who became my girlfriend and um i think you know when you're there's something that happens when you're um ingesting toxins like when you're when you're drinking alcohol a lot or doing drugs and stuff like that or you're around that energy you're like lowering your vibration and so you're attracting like low vibrational uh situations low vibrational kind of people and um so i i guess through that low vibration i attracted uh this relationship which turned into like total chaos Mm -hmm. and by the end of that i think it was like a two-year relationship uh i was just like brought to my knees like I was just I, I, like the yeah. band was gone. Um, I was broke. I was like just a mess, you know. And I think when you go through things that are, you know, um, I guess like your rock bottom, you know, when you hit that kind of a rock bottom mm-hmm. place, uh, that's a big catalyst for change. And that's when I started to discover. Um, like a spiritual, a more spiritual path. Mm. And I was just hurting and um, I was in a lot of pain. And so I was seeking 
um, medicine. I was seeking something to heal. Mm-hmm. And um, so to make a long story long. We got two hours. I was actually listening to a podcast. Uh, this was in like 2012. And it was it was a podcast with, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Graham Hancock. He is like this archaeologist that's right. um, discovering that our history as humans is like way older than we thought. And there's like actually a highly advanced civilization here on Earth, bef- you know, and why aren't we being taught this in history books and stuff like that? So anyway, he his story was about how he accidentally came across these shamans in the Amazon in his like archaeological quests, you know, and he worked with the ayahuasca medicine and he was describing his experience with ayahuasca and um i listened to his story and i was like that's what i need i need Mm -hmm. to go i i don't know what it was but it was like calling me i was like i need that because i was in like a really heavy place right Mm -hmm. and he was talking about shamans and i didn't know what shamanism was at the time i just was listening to his story and then almost like a um, synchronicity or like a, a very serendipitous thing happened where, you know, like your reticular activator starts to like attract things. Like if so, if you're like driving like a Ford F-150, you start to notice Ford F-150s everywhere on the road. So I was like really into this word shamanism. And then I went to like a yoga class soon after that. And I saw this like... Um, thing on the wall about this woman who's a shaman and um and this woman angela prider um and she um she was a catalyst for me you know because i called her up i'm like hey i'm thinking about going down to peru and doing this ayahuasca thing (laughs) you know i didn't even know what i was getting myself into and she's like whoa maybe you should hold off on like booking your flight and maybe we can just have a, a chat right and then that turned into like a multi-year shamanic apprenticeship with her. Wow. Yeah. And um, that was the, that whole process of going through this transformative apprenticeship with her led me to a new perspective on my medicine with music mm. and how I can use sound, vibration and music for healing rather than just entertainment, right? And correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a moment when you were in in um, with Grandmother Ayahuasca where someone handed you a drum? Exactly. Is that right? Like, yeah, in a wrong? ceremony, yeah. in a in a deep plant medicine ceremony, I was I was like off in the center of the universe somewhere, and <laughs> she she comes up to me um, like while I'm just like lying down like having all these visions and stuff. And she's like, Mike, it's time to play. She hands me this, um, this drum, which is like a, uh, hang drum, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. that you can play. And it's like a percussive, but musical instrument. Like you can make music, but also make like a, a beat, like a rhythm pattern with different notes. Yeah. And I somehow like was able to sit up in that experience. And I started playing this, this drum and I just started to find the rhythm in the song and like, you know, I don't know if you've ever worked with this medicine, but it is like 
you know, you're in a whole different dimension. And I was just this like beam of like energy just came through me. It was like the same kind of energy I would feel if I was playing like a stadium of like 30,000 people, you know, but it was just like 12 people in this spirit. <laughs> and I was just going off on this thing. I was like, like just playing this song uh, for like a while. And uh, some transmission came through in that experience. Where I was like, it was like telling the medicine was saying, this is what you have to do. Like, wow. this is your, this is your work. This is like what you're here for kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's I mean, it, and what I love about Mike's story, um, and, and I think we'll go back again in a minute because I think there's other elements of that time in your life that if you don't mind sharing that have been really, um, of your life experience as as a, a kid and, and as a teenager that have been pretty profound in you kind of getting to this moment and having an understanding of like humanity as a whole and healing as a whole that I think would maybe go back to if you're into it. But what I love about this is like Robbie and like the others that, well, there, there's this moment where it's not just about like this idea of, oh, well, that's a cool thing to do. I'll go do it. It's like the, you're moved to it. You're like, you all of a sudden the alignment comes in, the congruency comes in. Um, so I, I love that. And let me tell you how I found Mike, because that was also serendipitous. But can I school you on something? Can I immerse you on something? Because you haven't been to immersion yet. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, I language, because I don't know, fuck, maybe we all we. But when you say that stuff, what's really powerful for me is when you put your I to it as opposed to we as humanity. Because mm. I think your story is unique to you. And that's the way... When you tell it to me that way, it was the way it resonates with me. So I'm going to gently correct you today <laughs> <laughs> on the eye language. Um, but it was interesting. It was actually um, immersion this last year, the uh, alumni, um, where people have been to immersion before, and then it's a group of people that haven't been necessarily together, but they've all been, um, you know, kind of deep in their own inquiry. And all of a sudden... Why well, I've used sound baths a lot, and you know we've got so many beautiful sound healers in Vancouver, and you know we talk. I know you've had May on before, and Jade and Faye, and um, you know, and and so many others. But is I was like I kind of did my rounds. I was like, oh, last minute, I was like, I, we're gonna gonna finish this with a sound bath. I'm gonna finish alumni with a sound bath, and. Faye, no, you know, oh gosh, I'm not in town. Jade, no. And they love doing that work because of the inquiry and just the depth of the community. She wasn't in town. Kelty, no, wasn't in town. And I was going through Squamish and um, stopped at Zephyr's, of course, because this is where you find this. And uh, I saw um, a poster for Mike because he does um, uh, uh, like a session in, I think it's called, What's it called? Yeah, I do it once a month at Breathe Fitness in Squamish. But I love this story as an entrepreneur and founder. It's like, I just was like, I don't know. It's like a week and a half away, (laughs) which when you know my schedule, it's like, again, it's just like happened. So I reached out to Breathe because it wasn't Mike's. You know, it's not, he doesn't work for them. He just uses their facility. But like they connected with 
with him and me in like nanoseconds. And I was like, first of all, I was like, these brief people got it going on, man. It was That's like amazing. they were, yeah, they were Annie forwarding. And Jeremy, they're really great. Yeah, yeah. They were like forwarding something that wasn't going to benefit them. So right away I was like, yeah. And then Mike, um, I was like, you know, any chance? And he was kind of like, I don't know who you are, but sure. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he showed up to, um, the the women's um and and most of those alumni people have been through a lot of sound and literally natalia of community just like she's like that was a freaking journey and so then i was lucky enough to use them again that the a couple of weeks later for um for sweet futures for a group of women that had spent a whole week with us and then he just recently did ceremony with us so it was like yeah I, I, I was really into the breathe people. I was like, wow, you were on it for me. So I, I thank them, even though I don't know them. Yeah. And then what I, I mean, we were, we were talking about whether you were going to bring it or not. And I know we sort of like skipped that. But there's one um, instrument that Mike has. He has a couple different than I've seen before. And one is the ocean drum. And when he plays, when that happens... I just watch because I'm usually, you know, get to be in in watching and receipt and moving around. And it's just like deep earth, like you are in it. So mm. I love that part of it. So tell us what you use right now. Like when you sit there with all of your tools in front of you, what are what what resonates with what for you? Yeah, definitely that ocean drum is a crowd favorite. Sure. People love that <laughs> it's, one. Yeah. It's good, man. And I'm like, is he above me? Is he beside me? Is he? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good one. Uh, I'm walking around with that. Like I'm, I'm not stationary with I that. I know. One. It always sounds like you're right above me. Yeah. <laughs> always. Yeah, yeah, it fills the room. Yeah, for sure. it fills the room. What else do you have? So yeah, I usually start a session um, without instruments, and mm. we just do um, mm. some breath work. Breathwork and get separated from the rest of the day and get present in the space. We're going to like set the tone for the session. And then so breath, breath work. And then, you know, I bring in some uh, hypnosis kind of uh, body scanning, like deep relaxation for the body and the mind, you know? So I, I found over time that you can't just go right into the sound or you, you can, but it's, Mm. There, there should be a, a process to get people nice and relaxed and mm. deep, and then I bring in the sound in the mm. soundscape. So, um, yeah, I'll start off with um, the ocean drum, mm. usually, mm -hmm. and then I spend a lot of time on the gongs. I have um, multiple gongs, and I find those to be very potent and effective. Um, and then I'll play shruti box, and I'll use my voice, vocal overtoning. Uh, and then Tibetan singing bowls, crystal singing bowls, uh, native flute I'll use. Um, and yeah, the hang drum I'll bring in here and there. Mm. And mm. a steel tongue drum, mm. um, koshi chimes and bells. And yeah, that's that's mainly what I use. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can we get into the kind of the transformational experience of sound? Like if, if we go back to, you know, being even in utero, like as a, as a child in the womb, like you're connected to the, the heartbeat and Absolutely. kind of the, the oceanic sounds of all hearing the, the is, fluids. Yeah. Hearing is the first sense that comes online when you're in the womb. Wow. So that heartbeat is the first thing that we perceive in there. 
Amazing. Yeah. It's so funny when you said that. The first thing I thought is like, we think we screw up our children from the time they're born, but we're screwing them up before they're born. <laughs> <laughs> they're <right> here. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. <Yeah. laughs> Damn. It's true. It's um, true. So hearing comes online first, and it's the heartbeat. Yeah. And is that why you think the drum is so powerful? Yeah. 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 I use the drum uh, when we're doing the breath work, yeah. you know, and I start to. Um, and train the brain waves. You know, this is what the shamans do when they're rattling or drumming. You're entraining the brain waves and lowering the frequency of the brain waves from beta brain wave down to theta brain wave or even delta, mm-hmm. somewhere in between there. So that you're oscillating somewhere between meditation and sleeping. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because those are like our deep sleep brain waves, right? When we get into a good rest. Yes. That's what we see the most active. That's right. Yeah. Wow. But everyone's awake and experiencing the same kind of rest, resting state of resting, but aware. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing how sound can dictate feeling and emotion so much. Like you can be just going back to to start with babies and we can go forward. But like if a baby's crying, you kind of you shut, you like shh, you know, mm-hmm. you yeah. make calming noises. Or like if you're, you know trying to go to sleep and you don't live next to an ocean you put on ocean sounds or something sure. like that yeah. you know like sound this therapeutic quality of sound and then the opposite you know you hear someone shrieking or yelling and you like mm-hmm. become go alert amygdala, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. you go into fight or flight or, or stress or worry um my first time kind of experiencing like a, a sound healing a sound bowl i was i was amazed how you experienced not just like the acoustics of the sound, but the vibrations of the sound, mm-hmm. how you felt it like in body yes. uh, versus like maybe if you're at a rock concert, you're hearing this kind of cacophony uh, or this kind of orchestra of all these instruments and sounds together. But when you hear that sound bowl or that drum, you kind of hear it, feel the vibration in body. Can we kind of get into that? Absolutely. The, the vibrations and the frequencies of 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 sound are, are like we can even take that further in the vibrations of of like there's a frequency to this table, yeah. there's mm. a frequency to, to the words, the words and the space between us. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it goes so deep yes. when you look into yeah. this, when you start inquiring about the science and the nature of the universe and reality yeah zoom in close enough nothing is solid yeah everything's vibrating right so everything is a vibration so nikola tesla i think famously said if you want to understand the nature of the universe think in terms of frequency and vibration right so so when you're working through that what are you thinking about as you're taking us in a journey what are you thinking about and what are you receiving back so when I take people into the experience, my intention is to reset the nervous system mainly. So when you lower the brain waves down to the theta zone, mm-hmm. theta and delta, um, your nervous system goes from the sympathetic nervous system over to the parasympathetic side of the nervous system, which is the rest, the resting state of the body. And from there, your body goes into what's called homeostasis. And the intelligence of the body then takes over without the encumbrances of of the mind uh, being in the way. And so it's almost like this involuntary meditation that can be experienced. And the body, yeah, goes through all its own self-healing processes. 
and people come out of it feeling like completely refreshed and restored. Um, they'll, they'll come out of it just feeling like, yeah, reset and, uh, back in their center. Sometimes it can bring up heavy stuff though. It's not always just, um, this nice, pleasant spa like experience. Sometimes people have stuck energy in their nervous system. You might have some unresolved things coming up from the subconscious mind that are being, you know, stirred up in there. There's, there can be some shadowy things that, that people can experience. And I always say, if I'm doing a room of 30 people, I'm going to have 30 different reputations. There's going to be 30 different experiences simultaneously. It all depends on what people are coming in the room with previously, mm -hmm. right? And whatever comes up in the experience is probably necessary. It's probably what they need to look at. It's, it's kind of like it could be shining a light into their subconscious mind. And I really think these days it's very important to do things like this, like attend a sound bath because it's, you know, I do 90 minutes. So it's 90 minutes where you don't have any distractions like a phone, to, you know, if you feel any difficult things like you don't just, you know, um, sweep it under the rug with some distraction. It's like for those 90 minutes, you're like going, you're tending to your inner garden and that's so important because, you know, shining a light on what's going on on the inside, your inner world creates your outer world. Your inner reality is what's manifesting in your outer experience. The roots become the fruits, mm -hmm. right? And um, what's that Carl Jung quote? It's until you make the unconscious conscious, it will control your life and you will call it fate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. When when you're, you know, I <clears throat> have done a lot in music and stuff as well. And I know when you are preparing for like a gig or a show, you think, okay, this song, this is gonna like high energy opener. Then this one that is a cover or people love or whatever. We're very like calculated in how you put together a set and you practice the songs and you think this ending, this transition, it's all so important. And it can at times look almost improvised. And there is, I think, in live music, always an element of improvisation. But when you're creating a 90-minute journey for people, how intentional are you about, okay, I'm going to start here, then I'm going to transition to this. Like, is it a practiced, rehearsed 90 minutes? Or is there some improvisation based on what's going on in the room? Like, what's your, what's your practice behind creating this medicine that you're going to share with people and, and invite along with you? So it's been several years of doing hundreds of sound baths now for thousands of people. And over time, I've figured out what works and what doesn't work. And I have a bit of a template that I have. Um, and within that template, things change mm -hmm. in little ways. But in general, I have a f certain flow to the experience that I've figured out works universally. And for the most part, everyone is like, they love it, right? They, I get a lot of positive feedback. And, um, and so, yeah, you know, there's a, there's a beginning, you know, a process to bring people in, like I was talking about. And then there's the, the, the arrangement of instruments that I use, which can change. And I experiment with different arrangements of the instruments and things like that. And then there's a way to bring people out of the experience. So it's not just abruptly finished. Right. Like there's a slow, gentle, maybe 
10 minute uh, process of like bringing people out at the end mm. do you ever do you in your mind think that certain um, instruments tend to I know it's not um, it's not like a, a hundred out of a hundred tend to invoke different responses yeah absolutely. like that's a, I'm, just to go back to the ocean drum I'm like oh he's stirring right now he's like stirring right. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. and then what when you think of like chimes what do you think of like what are your what does that resonate for you? What is it that you think you're bringing in with that medicine of chime? The chimes, very gentle. Um, they're not the most potent instrument, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do sort of yeah. create an atmosphere in the room, like this in, within the soundscape. They, um, you know, you might want to use the chimes uh, at the beginning or perhaps at the end, mm. you know, but the meat of the experience is used on the instruments that I find have the most um, effect, right? Like gong. Like the gongs, you know, it's not always um, nice and pleasant. Like chimes are nice. They're <laughs> yeah. nice. They sound nice. <laughs> They're nice. But they don't really like move that energy. Like, mm. like the gongs will penetrate every molecule in your body, and like the stuff's moving around, and and you're vibrating on like a whole like full body level. And what know? about the crystal bowls versus the Tibetan bowls? Do you think there's a different resonance there? Yeah, it depends on the size of the Tibetan bowls. T- yeah. Typically, Tibetan bowls are smaller, mm-hmm. and the crystal singing bowls uh, will fill the rooms, you know, fill bigger rooms uh, more potently, mm-hmm. you know, and you can use a whole set of these bowls, and pl- they play different uh, notes, and if you if you match the right bowls together, like if you're a musician, you understand the circle of fifths, and um, so Can you that, tell us, for those of us who are nodding in agreement with the circle mm-hmm. of fifths, what is the circle of fifths? The circle of fifths is just like notes that match together. So oh, okay. if you're writing a song, you would like look at your circle of fifths and yeah. see like the G note and the A note and the D note and they fit together in like a pattern, right? Whereas if you play like a major chord and then like a minor something, you know, it doesn't, it wouldn't, it wouldn't sound, mm-hmm. it would sound a little dissonant. Mm-hmm. Right. So you want the bowls to match, mm-hmm. to sound pleasant together, because otherwise you'll get this dissonant sound mm-hmm. and it doesn't vibrate well together. Mm-hmm. So with the bowls, you, you want to match them correctly mm-hmm. when you're selecting the bowls that you're going to use. Um, but yeah. I find that the crystal bowls do definitely fill rooms more effectively. Than and them. then what about when you bring your voice in and the, what's that last instrument that you use? Yeah, <laughs> I always get it wrong. Um, that's called the shruti box, shruti box. that I Have usually you seen use. That? Shruti box is yeah. an Indian instrument, yeah. and it's sort of like a harmonium, similar to the idea of like an accordion, yes. where it's like a wind instrument. You squeeze the air through the reeds, and um, you can tune it to different tunings. And then, what and, are you doing with your voice at that time? And then sometimes I will um, do what's called vocal overtoning, yeah. and this is something that I figured out no one taught me how to do this. I just kind of like one day I was doing it and then I figured out like, Oh, that's how they do the overtoning. Yeah. It was just like this octave higher. It's like two notes coming out of your, from your throat at the same time. So it's like a low, uh, octave and then kind of a whistle sound over top of I, that. I think I can do this. 
Can you? Okay, like, let's hear. It's almost there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you do That's it. That's pretty good. Oh, That's pretty good. Drink <laughs> some water. Yeah. That's pretty. Have you been practicing? I just realized one day when I was walking, I was whistling and I hummed by accident at the same time. I was like, oh, I can hum and whistle at the same time. That's okay. kind of, that's a cool, <laughs> in, in here, that's like a really cool sound in my headphones. Yeah. Okay, like give it to us. <laughs> I'll try, I'll try. Okay. It doesn't. <clears throat> I know you. Don't I need it. like the, the Shruti box actually helps me. Like, yeah. It gives you the key. Yeah. gives me the key. So. <laughs> oh, oh, hold on. It <clears throat> has to be a little higher. Okay. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Kind of. Amazing. Very oh. different yeah. from what I thought. <laughs> Your little whistle was hum like, was very cute. Check out my party <laughs> trick. <laughs> yours, yours was cool. This was like meditation. That was yeah. that was very that was, cool. That was amazing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Um how do you guys feel? I'd like to go into a little bit. Like I was thinking, okay, this is interesting. Um, I'm lucky enough to have three men here of kind of similar stage-ish. And I'm curious to go back, if you would share Mike in a minute, to those situations or circumstances in your childhood that you felt like... Um, yeah, required some inquiry of self and um, some healing of self. But first, if you guys don't mind, because, you know, I like to break it up with a little inquiry, is I, I wanted to to use this as a um, as a poem because I was looking at things as, as they've got to do with sound and then maybe, like, either what resonates for you or, um, yeah, what it, what it calls up in terms of inquiry of self. So... Um, Here's one for you. It must be somewhere, the original harmony, somewhere in great nature hidden. It is in the furious infinite, in the distant stars' orbits. Is it in the sun's scorn, in a tiny flower, in tree gossip, in heart music's mother song, or in tears? It must be somewhere in mortality, somewhere the original harmony must be found. How else could it be infused in the human soul, that music? Yeah, this idea of the resonance of, of music in our soul. So, Mike, when I say that to you, what comes up for you in that poem? Hmm. Yeah, that we as embodied beings are a microcosm of the symphony of the whole universe mm-hmm. what about for you yeah i think um just the idea that we're all like um the last line like we're we're so connected to music and sound and i know that that just like resonated so much for me as someone who i've always loved i've always loved listening to music playing music being part of it and it's given me so much in my life that there's this like deep connection to sound, to rhythm, to the kind of beautiful organization of mm-hmm. what those elements on their own can produce mm-hmm. out of order would be just like kind of chaos and noise. And yet when we bring it into order, it's absolute beauty and mm-hmm. perfection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
was firstly just thinking of the comfort of sound, whether yeah. it's the sound of a voice or a song, how that can take you to a safe place or a happy place. Mm. And then I was thinking about back to the idea of sound being vibrations and that we're vibrations, this table's vibrations. If we can start to accept that, um, we can find different ways to connect, you know? Mm-hmm. We can connect with more than each other. If I can see that tree as a vibration or that wave as a vibration, like, and I see myself as a vibration, how would I connect differently with that tree or that wave or, or something that I only saw as a tree or a wave mm-hmm. previously? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's for me an inquiry too, why the words we use and the the resonance behind the words, the words themselves, I think, have an energy to them. I think each mm-hmm. word carries an energy. And then our programming to that word has an overlay of mm-hmm. energy too. And so, you know, we were teasing Ravi Bent last time when he's like, yeah, I just freaking hated my kid. <laughs> and, you know? and it was funny because he's Ravi. But, you know, that word, like hate, when I say that mm-hmm. word, it's not just the word itself. It's like it's- my relationship to that word and my life Mm -hmm. and where I've seen that and what it means to me and like my body and my soul and where it's you know may have um a relationship to harm or or you know harm that I've done or harm that I've received you know well thinking about that vibrational quality um this is so interesting like there's the the water studies with um uh Dr. Dr. Emoto and there's apple studies now like if you like you know, use language to water or fruit or whatever. How the it changes the 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 structural break up, like the water crystals, the water the, crystals, the water, and yeah, that's amazing. And then I was digging into this, and and you, I'll, I'll find the study to send it to yeah. you both. How music, because we're our bodies are our water, yeah. And how music changes not only the structure of the water in our body, but also our red blood cells. Um, so it's like, I mean, you probably know all this, but when I was reading this, it's like... You're just blown away. Because you get blown away, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's blown it's away like, often. <laughs> yeah. like how listening to music or, or the sound therapy or sound healing changes the structural, you know... There's actual our, our own structural quantitative thing. science, you know, like people think this is some metaphysical thing. Yes. But, sound can physically move matter yes so you know the sound can actually have an effect on physical matter um some people think there's a theory that that's how they built the pyramids with sound and vibration Mm -hmm. that's how they got those heavy blocks moved Mm -hmm. um and yeah there's a lot of experiments like if you if you look into cymatics Mm -hmm. the study of cymatics c-y-m-a-t-i-c Yes, cymatics and it's um when they play certain hertz frequencies they mm-hmm. can change these the like a table of sand for example yes into beautiful patterns mm-hmm. that resonate with that frequency right it's like that's fascinating like it's like the physical representation of sound of the energy or the resonance of sound yeah 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 and actually my logo for sound quest it's the um cymatic if you look at the logo it's the cymatic of 
432 hertz, which is a whole nother rabbit hole to go down. Let's go okay, down. Okay, give us a, so down down give us a rabbit hole. hole. I love rabbit holes. Tell us about tell us, 432 oh. hertz. Well, this is the, it, it's all about the key of F sharp in the in our musical structure, F sharp. Um, and that's what I have my Shruti box tuned to. Okay, got it, got yeah, it. 432 hertz at F sharp. And um, there's a documentary called Sonic Geometry. Everyone should watch this. It's about a 20-minute quick documentary. So, you know, it's not going to take you hours to get through it. But it explains the whole universe in terms of sound and frequency. And, uh, yeah, 432 hertz is like the the frequency of the universe. Wow. Yeah. What's the frequency of love? There's I, some people say it's 528 hertz. Yeah. Yeah. That's, That's the so love cool. vibration. Yeah. I love that. Like we should just like have these vibrations like, yeah. you know. And, you know, they, there's this conspiracy theorist theory about the like in Nazi Germany, they changed like the um, international standard for musical tuning to be 440 hertz. So it's just off of like the frequency, the natural frequency of the universe so like when we hear music you know in in modern music it's all four tuned to 440 hertz but if everything was tuned to uh 432 hertz there's a theory that everything would be much more harmonious Mm. interesting right and so i tune my guitar to like 432 hertz yeah. It always extends me to like let's let's say there is a truth to that. Let's just pretend for a yes. second. How is humanity do we always go for the shitty stuff? Like yeah. why didn't somebody program to yeah. the like higher frequency? Yeah. Like, yeah. What is that yeah. about? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a theory. I don't know if no, it's true. No, no, no. But I mean like if it was, yeah. because and I'm not saying that is, by the way, I'm saying, but how is it in humanity we take such beauty and like yeah. don't always use it right. for the the best the, it's like, the highest and best right yeah. what, like is that, gonna, uh, what is the, that what is that shadow of uh, humanity shadow. Yeah. So we've got elevator music playing everywhere. Oh we could just have this, you know. <laughs> this is funny, you know, in my backyard right now, I have like, you know, the sauna, cold plunge, you know, hot yes. tub. And they're building a little something else out there, a little micro home. And uh, come I was actually, Jesus. Sky from one of our previous podcasts was up this week. And so we were in the house and I was working and he was doing stuff. And then I heard the two contractors outside and I literally like texted this guy who's downstairs and I'm like, please go be the DJ. They were like killing the trees out there with this music because it was such a bad con. I call it contractor music. I was yeah, like, yeah. wow, it's on a bad radio or on a bad. But yeah, like yeah. I was like, oh, it's not going. It's not working with my vibe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I want to talk about. Yeah, I want to talk about Mike. I want to talk about your. Um, the things in your youth that experience, because we, earlier before we started on our pre-pod, we talked about how you're using jujitsu as um, as also a, a modality of healing for yourself right now. And yeah. you kind of um, nodded to that it was to do with um, you figuring out a different kind of like strength and power in yourself because of some stuff that happened in your youth. Do you want to talk about? Mm, yeah, you? we can get into yeah, some let's heavy get into stuff. It. Yeah. Yeah, so um, as a teenager, uh, we moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, as as a kid, I grew up moving around because my dad's career. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I never really felt like I fit in mm-hmm. fully anywhere mm-hmm. uh, as a kid. So we moved down to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. 
you know, after growing up uh, several years in this small bil- village of, uh, actually not far from here, it's mm-hmm. a little just outside of uh, Port Moody, Belcara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like this yeah. this little tucked away little town, yeah. like not even a town. It's just like a bunch of houses in the woods. And, um, and so I went from that to like LA at like age 13. Wow. And, um, and I went right into high school, like in LA from that environment. So it was quite the adjustment and I wasn't ready for the level of like the type of kids down there at that age, like pretty, you hadn't been exposed. Yeah. So, um, being the new kid, um, I was just kind of like wanting to fit in somewhere you know and i you know the kids that would accept me at that age were like kind of like the you know not so much the the positive kids it was like the skaters and the punks and the kids that like they're struggling drinking and using drugs and stuff and Mm -hmm. and that kind of got me into a bit of uh trouble just based on who i was hanging out with at, at that age and that led to um, me getting into several like physical, you know, altercations, you know, and fights, you know, um, getting attacked, uh, bullied and not knowing how to defend myself physically. Right. And so, um, you know, I got through it, but I didn't really um, resolve it until much later in my life. You know, I, I didn't. I kind of dissociated from those experiences, like pretty vicious attacks, you know, like I had a guy jump out of his car and, and beat me up. I was, I was, um, beaten up by this guy at a party in this backyard in front of a lot of people. He was like, he was older than me, bigger than me, played football. You know, this guy was just like pretty vicious dude. Mm. And, you know, I just went through these experiences and was just happy to get out of them at the time but then later didn't realize how much it messed me up mm. you know um and how did I, it mess you up what did it what pattern did it cause for you just trust issues mm. uh trusting like mm. especially like males like mm. i was i always felt very threatened by mm. you know other males mm. um and yeah i just uh it just i think it just um it just changed my view of the world in a way at that age you know like i was a bit, a bit uh when fearful. did it start to surface for you that you knew that it wasn't enough just to get through it yeah i think a lot of people's trauma like that happens right um you I, don't read I, I know my trauma does <laughs> well, yeah. yeah yeah for me it seemed like it didn't uh hit me immediately no. and it wasn't until much later that i realized i needed like help figuring out how to resolve that trauma and did it did you go for help first that was in your head or in your body because i think that we're not always i actually did some pretty profound work uh, with this woman margaret uh she's she lives in burnaby she does srt self-regulating therapy and i learned through those sessions like how much trauma is actually stored in the body it's not necessarily Mm. Um, something to figure out with your mind Mm -hmm. but it is like stored in the body and she has this process of like like I don't know when you sit across from her like reality starts to change it's very weird Mm -hmm. and um, 
it feels like you're on some kind of psychedelic <laughs> and and she's just like okay and she's at prompting you to like oh, where do you feel that in the body mm-hmm. where does that come up in the body and then all of a sudden i'm just like <laughs> like, <laughs> like what's happening i'm like having yeah. tears and stuff mm. and i don't even know why we're not even having a conversation she's just like like feeling into like where in my body mm-hmm. this trauma happened mm-hmm. like you know i got punched in the face on this side of my head when i was like 15 and then you know i had this like trauma there it was like this energy was still there right and she was like working working that out and stuff and uh that was some really uh, profound healing there but to get to your question i am finding like legitimate therapy from uh training jujitsu yeah uh since i've discovered jujitsu um I feel uh, so much better. Um, I feel like it's rewired those neural pathways in my brain mm-hmm. where I felt helpless, overpowered, um, beaten down because now mm-hmm. my body knows what to do. Mm-hmm. Like if that ever happened again, I would know exactly what to do mm-hmm. to physically defend myself, right? Mm-hmm. And so in, a, in, in some way, jujitsu has just been this beautiful therapy to resolve that um, childhood trauma of of violence. Mm, I love that. I actually have a, for Dean, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And I also think it's so interesting that, you know, you talk about this, um, these sessions with Margaret and the release of body, but you so actively know that because we just talked about it as it's what you actually do with sound. Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. maybe like in a gentler way because it's with so many people, but yeah, I, you know, I, I see that. I, I've seen it in sound. I see it with what you do in sound. But I'm curious as men, um, what I, I thought what you said really was cool, Mike, was like you got through it, but you hadn't yet resolved it. Sort of like I'm going to park it. And so I have the same question for you. It doesn't have to be necessarily around um, physical trauma or 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 that sort of violent trauma. But what do you think that now in reflection as you sit here, and, and it might not still be resolved, by the way, but what is it that you got through, but it hasn't been um, like resolved, assimilated and resolved in your entirety? Mm-hmm. What do you think? I think probably for me, it's like the, when I learned that like my parents were going to split and it was like at later, like I was older, it was after mm-hmm. high school. So in some ways you're like, oh, like logically I could see it, you know, I could see yeah. like this makes sense. And then even after some time, it's like, wow, you're both kind of better, mm. better off now mm-hmm. than you were when you were together. But I think, um, the reason why that story is kind of a, a point of like, mm. ah, there's still stuff there that I have to like, I think be mindful of is, um, one is like family pattern. So understanding mm. like some generational stuff that's gone on. And then also like I, was working uh, on the coast that Mm -hmm. summer. So I was literally back for a weekend and then I was gone like all summer. And so I was processing it like in a way that was helpful because I was in an element that really supported me. Like I was in nature, I was working, I was busy. I had some like good friends around with me. And then, you know, my brother was back home like with my mom living in the house like where we used to kind of be as a family and so Mm. i 
like worked through it in ways that I don't think like he did. And so there's definitely some guilt that I carry for like, mm. I had this opportunity to kind of process and mm. move forward, but then he didn't and it maybe hasn't as much still. So uh, yeah, for me, there's like some guilt in that and knowing like that's something that I need to, you know, work, work on work through still. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it is fully in the vein of like music and sound. Like, I don't think it's fully resolved yet. Mm. Yeah. My resolve. Yeah. Um, what was the feeling? So, you know, what was, what all of a sudden did you, in that knowing that your parents were no longer going to be, um, partnership the same way, what was the feeling that it brought up in you? I think it felt like it felt like a weight. Mm. It felt like a weight was placed on me because even though I'm like the youngest in my family, yeah. I knew that it was going to be like my job, mm. or I you I, took it on. I took it job. on. Yeah, uh, yeah, to like mm. help. And then I think that's where part of that guilt comes from is because like I, I had this job away, and so I was away. Mm. But then also was like no, like mm. I need to be there. People need me. Mm. So yeah, mm. Mm. all your responsibility. We always get back to responsibility with yeah. you. It always comes back to responsibility with you. Mm-hmm. What about for you, Zach? I mean, lots of things. <laughs> <laughs> you want to, should we unpack my whole childhood? <laughs> yeah. Let's start yeah. with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> like I think the first one that came up in this moment is like a fear of 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 scarcity, um, mm. like. Uh, my grandfather's business went went bankrupt. My mom grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. Uh, my father, you know, who provided, you know, for those those most needed years of of childhood and growing up, like in in great ways, uh, his business eventually, you know, went the same direction as his as his dad's. So it's like there's always been a lot of talk in our family around losing things and not having not being like just scarcity over abundance you know and for me when when I start to not feel abundant I feel kind of paralyzed I go into like kind of triggers like a fight flight or freeze and I usually go into one of those and what does um scarcity or non-abundance uh show up like for you usually um, it can be like um, when there's stress around finance or there's stress around time. Um, hmm. It can be um, just when there's not space, you know, like if yeah. if things are I'm overwhelmed by money or time or the people around me, I, I kind of go into that. Mm. that idea of fight, flight, or freeze instead of kind of pausing mm. and figuring out like the... <laughs> pausing. The, the, Between stimulus and response. Yes, yeah, there's yeah, that yeah. space. Um, I have a question about that, though, too, Zach, is um, so there's um, a, a pattern, if not an obvious pattern, Yes, dad and, and grandpa, at least a, a story pattern, yes. a story that's been created yes. about there yes. was this idea of failure or non, yes. which may or may not be true. It was true for one aspect. 
But if, you know, you, we've all talked about this before, if in fact this, we, um, we're doing the work, whatever the work is for you. So, so yes. our children don't have to, Yeah. how, how do you over, how do you step past that so that that isn't a continued story? Well, I think, uh, I mean, Mike was talking about how you feel it in your body. And I think that's like the first step of awareness for me. And, and it's, it's realizing what you said. I love that use of language of story. Like we can tell um, so many stories. Like, okay, I'll use my dad's business for an example. Um, he had a business for 35 years. So there's so Huge much success, success yeah. you know. But when he shares the story and what I've heard so many times is how things ended, not that it provided for 35 years or that there were so many incredible experiences, connections, like there was so much beauty in those 35 years. And, and he was in a creative industry. Not only did he create yes. um, commerce for your family, he also yes. created such beauty in the world. Yes, yes. It's interesting because as you were saying that, what I wrote down and what I think is of interest at this table with you guys as men at this table is perhaps the story that doesn't need to change is not the, the ending of story, but rather the beginning of the story where we choose yeah. that um, that success or that are um, that one's um, worth mm, as a yes. person is dependent on, on yes. something. Yes. You know, is dependent on the, the, the emphasis on the what we have to have as opposed to yes. what is absolutely necessary and what um, actually, you know, sustains us from the inside as opposed to sustains us um, theoretically from the outside. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's part of like Buddha's uh, eightfold uh, <laughs> of suffering, you know, like uh, of, of wanting something um when what we have is what we need you know like mm -hmm. um but yeah i think reframing story and seeing if you can pause if mm -hmm. i can pause mm -hmm. and take a step <laughs> take a step back mm -hmm. you i can see the many chapters to that story versus the one that i'm focusing on or the mm -hmm. one that i am listening uh, that i'm hearing from you know someone in my family there's there's so many beautiful chapters in that book. Um, why would we focus on? Why would I focus on one that um, is just one chapter? Just one chapter, one, yeah. and such a small chapter. Yeah, <laughs> such a small chapter. I think the also thing came up for me with Mike. It's funny. I you know you guys. I, I told you when I came in that I have had the privilege of spending um, you know this week with many different groups as as they came through the house and came into inquiry and um, ceremony some of them some of them just in create but this idea of where we build distrust in our gender like in our you know there was some deep healing going on for a couple of the women around women even though they had so many women friends is um, yeah, and I, I wonder how did, you know, Mike was clear that showed up for him one way, and yet it didn't show up for the female for you? You had trust of the female? Hmm. Like a feminine? Well, these days, I think I've... <laughs> you're just I've, trusting everyone, or you're trusting everyone? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have discernment. I've, oh, you know, nicely um, done. I, can, I feel like I, I'm good at reading energy now, yeah. and, and knowing what red flags are, and 
Um, I, I don't know. I think when you have done a lot of your own work on yourself, yeah. like I was saying earlier, like your inner world creates your outer world. Yeah. And so those types of people that are it's kind of the energy vampires or the, mm. you know, um, the, the toxic kind of relationships, they seem to just have fallen away for me. You know, and I don't have anyone around me anymore. Are you still rebuilding your trust with in male? Somewhat. Uh, I definitely feel still more comfortable in like the the female presence. Yeah. Um, I also grew up with three older sisters and a mom. And my dad was always like working when I was growing up. Um, So it just feels more natural, I think. Um, And I've had, you know, like when I was younger before... I surrounded myself with like good guys that are like doing their work, you know, Mm -hmm. men's work and all that sort of thing in the men's work community. uh, Those types of guys, Um, you know, young Mm -hmm. adolescent, the uninitiated adolescent mind is quite competitive. So, you know, when you're young, there's like a little bit of competition all the time about like, you know, who's the alpha and Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. And I just... Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't stand all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. um, I like, I just found myself being more of like a lone wolf mm-hmm. type kind of guy, you know? Or, you know, I've realized there's another, there's not just alpha males and beta males. There's also this thing called a sigma male, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, you know, you do your own thing. And I've, You're I'm like, sigma me. <laughs> I've been sigma <laughs> for sigma. a while now. But. And I guess the thing is, if we can, like, go through all of those stages to understand what like you know how we can live with all those parts of us what about for you guys how was your relationship through your kind of earlier years and now with in a masculine as opposed to feminine did you have more trust or or was it equal or how did it show up for you yeah that's a good question I, I mean I think I was always very close with my mom so there's comfort and safety there but I didn't have, like, discomfort with men either. Mm-hmm. Um, like, sports was a big part of my childhood, so mm-hmm. I think, and growing up. So I think there was lots of... Like team sports, right? Team sports, yeah. So you had more solo sports, right? Like, yeah, I was more yeah, into surfing and yeah. skating and snowboarding. Yeah. Team yeah. sports, so you got this, like, camaraderie. Yeah. Of the, so and, you were, was, and you were also good enough at all of them yeah which is also helpful yeah so i think for me masculinity was like more of a brotherhood in in mostly in sports than than a toxic trait but i like i did have coaches that i was aware of that were like not good for me or the team um and that was definitely like looking back how we've learned now like the language the intimidation the like kind of it was very toxic and in, in mm-hmm. what we were being taught um, and it didn't feel good. So like there was definite like presence of that, especially with older coaches uh, with certain mm. teams. And, and like, I mean, I'll give one example. Like basketball was my life mm-hmm. for a long time. I remember. Uh, yeah. And I got kicked off the grade 10 basketball team. And I was probably at that time one of the better players on the team because I felt threatened and I I reacted in a way that my coach didn't like and I got kicked off the team for for that for that year yeah and then I went and played 
on the senior basketball team and, and that one coach held me back. Like, you're not allowed to play basketball at this school for, for this year. And it was safety. Like, I mean, I can share the story in, in, in brief. Like, I was having a really good game at a tournament and a kid pulled a knife on me at uh, halftime and was like, basically like, we're going to fuck you up after the game. Told my coach and he basically said like, don't be a pussy. And uh, I wasn't, I didn't feel safe. So I took my jersey off, which I shouldn't have taken my jersey off, but I was pissed. I took my jersey off and I left. And then when I came to the practice the next day, he's like, you can't, you took your jersey off. You walked out on us. Like you're not on this team anymore. Um, like he didn't care about my, my safety or, or any of that. I mean, you would think, <laughs> yeah, like a knife, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, but it was just like toughen up. Like yeah. that's distract- That's what happens. That's yeah. what happens. Yeah. Like yeah. just. Sorry about that. I didn't know that one. That's wow. Okay. That's I'm a pretty still, big one though. I'm still it? healing that one too. Like I no, see that coach I was say, sometimes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, still, I still see that coach around. Like he lives around here. And I'm just like, every time I see him, I'm like, oh, fuck and that And you know, guy. the thing is that probably <laughs> at this stage in age, you yeah. know, he's probably, there's chances are he's, I don't know if he was a dad, but he might be a yeah. grandfather. And yeah. if he would never want that to his own, to, to his grandchildren. To his own it's, children. Like, it's like, yeah. I look at that intermingling of like what was acceptable at points in life and and you know in eras and generations of life and i think that you you know so many so many times and as we kind of get older we'll look back and think i was allowed to say that i did that like and and uh, like where can i just stand in complete correction yes but i also think for you, there's a healing, and I, I think, oh, what is that poor man holding in him that he yes. doesn't even remember? Yes. that is also causing pain or turmoil in his own body because none of us would want to be remembered like that, would we? No. None of us would. No. What about for you? Yeah, it's kind of interesting reflecting on it. I've done some a fair bit of thinking about it. Um, a few years ago, I did a uh, my master's degree, and my kind of like capstone project was. Um, the way it's like I call it the way of men, and like mm. kind of like re-understanding mm. what masculinity mm. could look like, dare I say should look like, mm. <laughs> but recognizing the kind of like the current state of things is like not the best, mm. and so it's interesting because I probably from the outside would have been pegged as like the alpha male because I was always like uh, I'm very like outgoing, an extrovert big person and personality and I was a sports sports guy as well and very successful in the sports that I played um and so yeah probably a lot of people would have had that view of me like oh Dean's this like alpha male like big guy in the room captain of the basketball team Mm -hmm. rugby team all this but like internally, I was not that person. I am not that person. Mm. Like I could kind of care less about those labels and I never felt or feel the need to like assert myself as like mm. the guy in the room. Like I, I like to be the center of attention when I choose it, right? For like, <laughs> but, but I don't have to be. And, yeah, yeah. And, and for like, usually for um, the betterment of everyone. Like mm. I, I want to I wanna create an atmosphere where everyone feels welcome. So I will like, trying to take the space and make sure like, yo, let's create a space where we can all be not like, this is how it is. Like that's never been me. Um, but I feel like it would be, I would easily be pegged as that person. Um, 
but interestingly enough, like I was always as much as I played all the sports, like I was in the bands in in high school and very into the arts. And I would say someone who's like saw like a softy, like I've always had have had like big feelings and wasn't afraid. I mean, maybe masked them a little bit in those high school years, but like I wasn't afraid to say what I thought and like if everyone was going one way and I just felt in my gut like, yo, that's not for me. Like I would stand up and be like, I'm out. That's not for me. And that's that's a hard thing to do for high school kids mm-hmm. to go against the grain or be like, I'm not going to that party or I'm not drinking because mm. I don't feel like it. Like I, I don't want to live that way. And so I had like a clear sense of who I was and always found an easy time connecting with, with females and partly because I think like... I'm open and want to have like conversations about like deeper things than just, mm. you know, what often would be like locker room talk kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. And always drawn towards social justice and like standing up for the oppressed and the marginalized. Like that's been a big part of my story and recognizing like that is not, you know, to put it kind of crassly or paint with a too broad of a brush, but like that's not bro culture. It's like, look out for someone who's like marginalized or doesn't have a voice. And I always thought truly the most masculine thing to do was to like stand up for someone. And so that was kind of, that was my tension of like my world, knowing who I was and who who people might perceive me to be. It's so funny in the last immersion group I had of men, there was an ex-hockey player and... um, ex um professional hockey player and um yeah there it it was you know just a really really interesting group but sort of this idea of softness meaning that there was no strength when like my lived experience is that the men in my life that are able to be in their softness are actually the most masculine of men for me I like truly look at them and think, oh, you know, and what does softness mean? I mean, softness doesn't mean lack of strength. It means that I guess it's an ability to be in all parts of your body, not just in a single, all parts of your being. Um, Yeah, I think that's, or like I also, (laughs) this idea when someone tells me what a woman, like when a man tells me what a woman wants, I'm like, well, or you could just freaking ask me because I'm like right here. You know, like, well, this is what a woman wants. I'm like, here I am. <laughs> Ask me. Yeah. <laughs> Ask and me. Like, like all What's, women everywhere. Yeah, we're, everywhere. We're sure about this. Have you this? met me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not what I want. You're going to stake your claim on that? But this idea that like, yeah, that there has to be, and what does even protection look like? Mm-hmm. Protection doesn't mean not allowing me to stand in my power. It actually, protection is, is, is being with me in my power, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's been uh, such an interesting couple of months for me as I was listening to these last two groups in particular. And then this week of, and it wasn't just about men, it was like women who um, had to build trust with women, often because of like um, uh, family stories and, 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 and had relied really heavily on the men in their life and not actually allowed for the women in their life and seeing that and I was like it's so funny because when you were talking to Zach too I mean um, I've known Zach for a long time is um, and I would say that most of the men in my life that I look as truly as like oh god those are like such good men are very very comfortable in both 
their feminine and masculine aspects of themselves. And like, that's like always been you to me. As we, as we should be. As yeah. We should be. Yeah. yeah. Always been, you've all, I mean, and we know we have the anger issues because we talk about it every freaking time we're here. <laughs> but nobody ever knows because he's got such, like, I would say that like when people um, describe Zach when they met him, they always be as like, oh, is he the gentle one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm looking around the table, and I have like three yeah. fairly large guys in front of me, and you all have a really incredible gentleness. So I really well. Like there's, there's more to it than just a word. I think it's an invitation to be like a gentleman. Yeah, like yeah. that's not just someone who holds doors open. No. Like, what does it mean to be a gentle gentleman. man? Yeah, mm-hmm. and like to live into that. And that doesn't mean weak or soft or meek. And like, and even if it did, like. Can you embrace those things? Can is you it, embrace those like things? Like Brene Brown, right? Vulnerability is a is a show of strength and courage. Totally, totally. Mm-hmm. You got to start telling yeah. that story more. And also that idea of um, what you said, um, Dean, is um, funny that you said that about how you might have been seen as sort of like the alpha, and I would not have described you as that. No, I didn't know all your story of growing up and wasn't in those spaces with you. I would, both of you, I would describe as... Um, having spent the most time with both of you as like both um, Dean and Zach as these like, yeah, just gentle beings, like not even gentlemen, gentle beings. Mm -hmm. And then I think, Mike, where I got it from you the first time where I was like is around your spaces, your holding of space is when um, when you're like in, you know, like you're in your setup, your music setup. And it's where where I've been in Corey and you've had to like wait, you know, just sit there. And like Mike like doesn't move. He like holds such great like I call it like mountain space. My friend Jonathan mm-hmm. does the same thing. But it's like that requires a, a softness. That requires a gentleness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about for yourself growing up, Judy? Like Oh yeah, what, I was thinking was, about uh... that. I've been thinking about this so much. <laughs> Not about the male female thing for me. That Yes. Um though I guess like I actually there is a story for that in me, which for for me and growing up. But just how my growing up story has been so different. Like I literally I think I real, realize now, so remember I was kind of by myself by the time I was 16. And I had Dev when I was 21 or something around that. And so I don't really have that experience of teenage and 20s that Mm. a lot of people have. And when people talk about it and I don't quite get it, I understand it. And I think, why do I understand it? And I'm like, oh, I understand it because I've seen it on shows or read it in books. Right. But that wasn't your lived experience. It wasn't my lived experience. And my lived experience was pretty darn good. So it's not like I didn't feel in deficit, Mm. but I literally don't know sometimes. Like I don't, even when people talk about things with parents, like if you don't live with your parents, you can't really have a thing about them. And then the other Mm. thing is I felt completely supported. And then by the time that I hit, you know, 20, 21, I was already being a parent. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that, and I think about this often, do I have any unresolved or suppressed things? And I, I don't feel like I do. I feel like that was the life I led and it really, really gifted me. I also, in terms of teenage dumb and that sort of stuff, so 16, I was um, hot tail waitressing, which you're not supposed to do when you're 16, <laughs> <laughs> but, and, and going to school. And... Um, I actually went to apply to be a busser and the food and beverage manager was like, you'd be an incredible server. And I was like, okay, that sounds like better tips. <laughs> that sounds like a better way to live. Um, but 
um, I did have this, I was like quite, a, I was quite small, like I was really small when I was young. And, um, and I had a very British mom. And this is so funny. I can't even believe I'm going to say all this, but it's the truth. <laughs> is um, So I, my mom used to shop at Marks and Spencer's when I was little. And she used to buy like those like full on underwear. And it was just as girls were starting to wear like different underwear. And I can always remember thinking it was really funny. But in about, I think I was always a little bit different. And it was probably because while I was by myself 16, obviously things that led to that situation started happening earlier in my life. But, um, and I, and I was from a, an, a family that was very, like, there was a lot of properness, but they were so accepting. Like in my life, we had foster brothers and sisters. We had people that my dad didn't want to put into juvenile detention over the weekend. So they would come and be with us like love and hate tattooed, you know, people that had been, you know, hard time in systems. And I was raised sort of when my father was no longer living with us between sort of 14 or 12 and 16 with four gay men as my, my, the, the people that took care of me, the men that took care of me in my life. Um, so really like a lot of openness, um, a lot of acceptance. And then when I went into grade eight, this girl started calling me a lesbian. And it was like really big for her. Like she started writing at places. And look, it didn't really bug me, but it was kind of like disconcerting. I didn't really get it. Um, and and sort of like created a posse, which was really interesting because it was also friends of mine, like people that I would hang out with, but everybody wanted to get behind this like lesbian tag. And so, you know, just to prove them wrong when I was 14, I got like a 21-year-old boyfriend. So that stopped that. But um, he could also buy alcohol. So that was really good. But years later, she, because I remember just being confused, maybe sad, but more just like I didn't get it. And she said two things that I was, she, I ran into her and she said, she was a lesbian. Mm-hmm. And she said, um, I'm, you know, I did this to you, like I called you this. And I was like, and, and she's a lesbian. She said, yeah, it was because your underwear were really sexy. And then I remember like having this like thing of like, I had like the biggest like Marks and Spencer's underwear ever. But there was like this whole thing for her. And it was so funny because she looked at me, she's like, well, I'm so sorry. And I said, well, I accept your apology. But to be quite honest with you, like it's not tainted my life. But I was like, how many times as a... So I remember that, that confusion of like, why was this a thing, even if I was? Whereas nowadays, like, it really wouldn't be a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it just wouldn't be a thing. But that idea of as you're navigating your own, what you want to project onto somebody. Yeah. So, I, But I don't think I didn't trust women because of that. Yeah. Just like I've said to you before, I've had, um, you know, my experience, my lived experience with with men and with Devin and my daughter and her assaults has not always been of mm-hmm. men being serving their highest and best, but I don't think men are bad. Mm-hmm. So I really like thank you to my parents again, because I think they gave me that. We all come with all sorts of things and we don't sit in judgment of anybody, but we are in high discernment. <gasps> you know, I was taught yeah. to be discerning, but not judgmental. Yeah. So I, I think I was lucky for that, but I think, oh my God, like, I actually think that if I didn't, then have to move to taking care of myself, it might have actually affected me much more. Right. Because mm-hmm. I like, like basically, like I kind of didn't go to high school. 
I was like, I kind of like I made it through, but yeah. I didn't really. I was right. like working, yeah. and I was like, you know, so you started yeah. your adult life earlier than yeah, than yeah, most. maybe yeah. I started a life that had yeah. adultness to it for right. sure. Right. Some elements that maybe others didn't have to different um, responsibilities at the same level. Yeah, yeah. maybe, mm. but also this incredible, incredible feeling of love and support and never feeling like I have to be something. So maybe that's the cool thing about not having parents around for a while. You don't feel like, I never felt like somebody wanted me to be something. Right. But right. I don't think that was them anyways. They're both dead, so yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was them. Mm. But yeah, so I think that, I think that of, um, of yeah, I, I don't think I, I, I feel that. I feel very, and I don't really think that I super, um, I, I'm so cognizant because I spend time in groups of women and group of men about the differentness and the sameness mm-hmm. of those genders, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Is there, okay, to circle things, to go full circle here, is there a different frequency between oh, masculine and feminine oh, energy? Okay. Yeah. Is there? Frequency? Yeah. A v- vibration or sound? Hmm. I haven't come across that yet in my journey. Interesting. No. Okay. Um, Is there a different resonance as you're just walking around people, period? Is there a different energy resonance when you're in sound as you're walking around, whether whether they're male or female? Um, with relation to male or female, I think the female energy, generally speaking, is more receptive. Mm-hmm. Um, more open to the experience mm-hmm. where the male energy in the room is a little bit, um, you have to kind of break through a little bit. You have to convince them a little more that this is a little more ocean drum and a little more chime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah whatever yeah. you it's at my demographic for my events is probably about 85% female that come to my events. Is it changing? Has it changed and, over and the last few years? It is somewhat. Yeah. I definitely think there's more, mm-hmm male openness to it um I'm, I'm actually working with like first responders uh coming up mm-hmm. you know this kyle. this guy um <coughs> kyle they they kyle own Tate studio fit rx yeah out in mission out, out in mission oh, yeah. kyle and austin and Tate, i think yeah. they're up to some really cool stuff actually uh yeah. with their visions of the what they want to create but um yeah i'm supposed to go do like a, just men only mm. sound healing experiences with uh, first responders with PTSD. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally interesting. Yeah. yeah, so I'm thinking I'd have to bring in some like more like primal masculine sounds, like maybe some throat singing and didgeridoo and hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. So when you and think it, of masculine sounds versus feminine sounds, like you, how you just mentioned, are the masculine sounds like harder? Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, like, now that we're talking about it, there is a bit of a difference. Um with certain instruments, they 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 seem to have a, a masculine resonance to them. Like I think of like the drum, like the drum men going to war. You know, did like, you do? Mm, there's mm. something in our ancestral DNA. I think bagpipes too. Yeah, is like masculine. It feels masculine to me. There's like a, what feels feminine? What feels feminine would be like the uh, crystal harp mm-hmm. or um, the singing bowls seem to feel more feminine. Um, and what about when you get to the like feminine part that's kind of like the, you know, the darker, I don't mean dark in terms of its energy, but like the deepness. Like I think of like, you know, kind of serpent energy or like 
That's I think that's what Clint my God, you know, granddaughter's got like that freaking it's not light. There's not a lot of light <laughs> energy going on there. It's really like of earth, like of earth, like mm. mother earth energy. Mm. What do you how do you what resonates when I say that to you? Um, the soil, you know? Yeah. Maybe um like what the flute that I play. Yeah. 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 That feels earthy. Earthy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Are are there sounds in, in nature like has your your path and and sound has it changed your awareness of sound and nature or how you connect to it like do you pause to Mm, to listen listen differently than you had in the past 100 percent. yeah yeah i love to hike i love to be up in the mountains uh snowboarding i love to be by the ocean and i have my heart opens with nature you know Mm -hmm. that's it's just my heart just is wide open when i'm up in you know, up in the mountains hiking and I see all the wildflowers and um, up in the high alpines and I just, it's such a high vibration for me and just the sounds of the wind and the sounds of streams, the sounds. I actually have on uh, my YouTube channel just nature sounds that yes. I've recorded, you know, with my oh, DSLR. Oh, cool. So you like, almost collect these sounds. As yeah, you're... like as I'm hiking, I'll set up my DSLR camera and just like film a stream that I like. That's cool. And then it's just like an hour long like looped kind of uh video of this beautiful looking stream like up at like wedge mount lake for example i have a video up there where i just so how so how you listen's changed yeah definitely how i've listened to the world around me my environment and i'm i find myself more sensitive Mm -hmm. to like you know jarring sounds and things like that like um if i'm on an airplane and there's like a crying baby next to me or something i'm like oh god (laughs) (laughs) that's what the mother's thinking too believe me (laughs) oh god you know know what's crazy i I was actually on the ferry with a friend of mine who has two little children Mm -hmm. and i was like so immersed in their world Mm -hmm. and uh like because i was like having a conversation with him and i kind of got used to their kids i'm like oh because i know the kids Mm -hmm. right and they're making all kinds of noise. They're jumping up and down on the seats and stuff. And I was still just having a conversation with my friend and not barely noticing what was going on. And then all of a sudden I hear this woman behind us and she's just like, oh, Jesus. Right. She was all mad about the kids making noise. I'm like, oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I know what she's experiencing right now. Right. But I guess as a parent, I mean, you would know, right. Um, you get you're in that world all the time. So. Yes. I guess when your children are like making noises in public, it's like you kind of have to remind yourself that mm. it might be kind of upsetting people around you, maybe. Or you just be like, whatever. Because <laughs> I've always been like, why aren't they doing anything about that? Because <laughs> yeah. they just let the kid cry like on and on. And I'm like, okay, but then that's so interesting. They let a kid cry. Well, you, first of all, you can't control the cry. You can try to soothe that. Mm-hmm. But then the same person will use like language that is you know not great Mm -hmm. for others around them or talk about things so i think there's like you said there's lots of different ways and sounds that affect us and maybe it's what we're used to yeah and then you know that's what mothers do they'll they'll like hum or what what is some sounds that a um, what's a maternal sound for the baby they're there yeah Right. Yeah, got you. Yeah. yeah, singing. Singing, humming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 No, so what is um what is the sound that creates joy for you, Zach? What's the sound of joy? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, laughter for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially my kids' laughter. You know, my youngest son has got this wild laugh that I uh, that I love. There's certain songs that I think of when I think of that too. Like I thought of like, like an animal collective song, like Peace Bone. Yeah. Uh, like it's just there's just like so much elevation to the yeah, sound yeah, yeah, that yeah. it feels like when I hear that, it's uplifting. Um, yeah, that's a good question. What's the sound that um, makes you kind of drop into yourself a little more? Like maybe, maybe not, maybe not heaviness, but sort of brings you back into earth. Probably this. I mean, it's an embodied experience, but the the sound of a, a loud a, a sigh, like a uh, yeah, you know, that brings me back relaxes me that's a good one so so it's got such a the voice by the way is one of the most powerful sound healing instruments right and we all have voices uh uh, inner sound healing instrument and so those noises you make like ah you're like self it's a kind of a self a natural self-healing thing to do yes or like when you get like uh hurt like if you if you burn your finger or something it's like Mm. ah it's like kind of a ah, like right. You're, yes. You're there's a body resonance with emotions that yeah, you yeah. can use your voice for. And it's yeah. interesting that they're like, uh, outs- they they transcend language right. and gender yeah, and all of those things. Right. Like Every we culture all... in the world makes these. Like everyone's got an owl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's yeah. got an owl. Everyone's right. got an owl. What about for you? What's the sound of joy? Yeah, I, I think similarly, like just uh, familiar, warm, yeah. loving sounds, like your family, your kids, your closest people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are the things that you know. I know that when I hear them, like you just kind of like uh, it makes you feel light. Right, Ooh, um, bumblebees too. I like. Sorry to. I like, I like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like the sound of like the mm. bumblebees. There's something like. Uh, mm. It's actually a chant, isn't it? It's yeah. a yoga chant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, dude. No, no, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, love yeah. Love the bees. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all about the bees. Right? Love the bees. Love the bees. Uh, what's your What's the sound of joy for you? What I'm thinking about right now is bagpipes. <laughs> I, I don't know what it is. It must be my uh, ancestral memory yeah. or some kind of yeah. something in my DNA with my like Celtic hair. I'm, like I did one of those DNA tests. Yeah. And like my entire like lineage is all from like the yeah. British Isles. Yeah. You know, all over. Right. Um so I'm like the as white as you can possibly be as a human. Yeah. <laughs> You're uh, super white. So, yeah. So when I hear these these uh, bagpipes, I literally start to get all choked up. Like I don't know what it is. Like if I hear like a good bagpipe song, I'm like, oh, it just hits my heart. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought about playing them? I would love to learn. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Elin pipes. It's more of a Irish. Uh, yeah. The Irish kind of. Uh, wind instrument and it sounds similar to bagpipes yeah 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 um that would be easier to transport for my sound (laughs) than bagpipes Uh, but um yeah that's one that jumps out at me for sure Mm. yeah what about you judy um i mean the obvious is any you know us laughter for sure of that tickle but i mean i would say that Right now, um, silence is like silence of like deep silence is just brings me uh, that it's more than joy. It's, you know, we talked about before. It's like pure divinity to me. It's pure light. Um, 
when, we, like I said, we had these groups of people this week, and, um, you know, so I don't know, like 25 people through in three different groups or something, and um, and in between, like, I often just have to go into the forest, even for, if I can only get 15 minutes in there, it's like, literally, I like, the weight comes off me, but I was, and it snowed a lot, like, it, you know, today it snowed a lot. And the snow helps with the, the silence. snow oh, helps with the like silence. soundproofing. Yeah. yeah. But even the, the crackles, like, even, yeah, just the, the silence of the woods isn't always necessarily silent. It has all those, like, mm. micro noises, but it, there's, there's, it's so infinite. It's so, it's mm. like so busy and still at the same time. I'm like, how can something be, because everything's like actually moving. Yeah. And so right now that one, it like literally brings tears to my eyes. Mm. <laughs> you know, and when I go in, I'm just like, <gasps> yeah, it's like, feels like just pure grace. I think it just feels like pure grace right now. Mm. But yeah. Was, Any kid's laugh always gets me. Yeah. It doesn't have to be my kid. I'm just like, what? That yeah. is hysterical. Yeah. That was, you know, that is a joy. I was going to ask, it's interesting that you said that. What What is the role of silence or like those gaps, the, mm. the kind of punctuation in sound? Yeah, yeah. Like in regards to a, a sound bath session? Sure, yeah. Yeah, they, a lot of sound healers don't understand that there, there is a very important element, which is the silence in the sound baths, in between the instruments. There's You have to let the vibration settle. You have to let the soundscape, um, yeah, settle and silence is part of the healing. So I like to often just allow silence for like two or three minutes before I move on to the next instrument because, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's very important to like, if they've had a big experience with the gongs, you need to let that experience like integrate just for a little bit and then move over to the next uh, set of instruments yeah just thinking about that dean this is maybe like a like a rudimentary thought but there would be really no music without the silence right like if if there was just (laughs) between the the drum strikes you know if there wasn't that pause between strikes there's there's no there's no music there's no sound that's differentiating or Mm -hmm. the guitar or the piano if you're not if there's not space between each note there's no music right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And often less is more, you know, like, um, like sometimes, you know, immature musicians, they want to like, like if it's a young guitarist, they just want to shred and play like all the notes and show off. Right. But if you listen to like a more refined, um, guitar solo or a more mature player, um, like the guitarist in the Eagles, I can't remember his name, but his, he, if you listen to his guitar solos, he leaves those gaps, you know, between yeah. the notes and it, it's perfect. As I always say, it's like you can tell the difference between someone who's just showing their chops versus someone who's like playing tastefully. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. they they create and use space mm. and it's just like, oh, it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, beautiful. Um, I'd love to close with um, with a, like a, another contemplation, another, but a couple of more things. I know you might guys have one more question, but I, you know, Mike, we've been talking about the fact that um, such an emerging um, sort of modality sound and, and people are wanting to step into it and, and create, um, you know, livelihood for themselves around it. And I know that one of the uh, things that you've been 
working towards and working on and, and now are fully executing on is this idea of how is it that you create, um, how is it you make, create a livelihood for yourself through sound? So yeah, yeah. So outside yeah. of the craft of sound healing, I've also learned the craft of building a business from uh, hosting sound bath events. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, uh, it's been, uh, I'm in my fifth year now of doing this. Um, I've, I've figured out sort of a roadmap or like a blueprint or a, uh, um, a model uh, for how, you know, sound mm. healers can um, create a living, a sustainable uh, regular income from, from hosting these sessions with groups of people. Mm. And um, it started with just one location mm. uh, in East Vancouver with the friend's space that I knew. And then I started to realize that um, if you do the same thing in the same spot too many times, um, close together, then attendance to to your sessions starts to drop off. Mm. And so I realized I need to create some scarcity within that community or that area. And so I would just do it once a month there instead of like multiple times a week. And then I would do it on the other side of town out in uh, Port Moody Mm -hmm. once a month. So like on opposite sides of town, I was running these two events and sure enough, they were both like filling up. The rooms were like sold out and are full consistently. And then I said, huh, okay, well, this model's working. I'll just copy and paste this all over the whole region and become like this sound healing octopus with his tentacles everywhere. (laughs) And I I got my, um, my events up to about 15 of these events per month on like a circuit, like a monthly circuit. Uh, at each location, right? So I'm all the way up in Whistler, Squamish, White Rock, uh, Mount Pleasant, North Vancouver, uh, Maple Ridge, Coquitlam, like everywhere, right? And I also offer private sessions at people's homes and things like that and, and work with people mm-hmm. like Judy mm-hmm. who do, do retreats and things like that. So, um, yeah, and, and I, now I've created SoundQuest Academy, which is my school that I've developed and I teach other sound healers how to create this sustainable living hosting sound baths for groups of people. Very cool. Well, it's so cool. I was thinking about probably like 30 years ago, that's what yoga instructors needed mm-hmm. because it was like there, there's some, it's such an interesting things around these modalities as first of all, I don't know if we should always make them our living. Like sometimes we just need to do something for pure joy, but when we do sometimes not understanding the business of, the business actually gets in the way of the joy of the modality. So to have that framing is like so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Any last questions from you guys before we close? No, just it's been uh, so great listening to you, Mike, and, and, you know, hearing your story and your journey. And uh, I'm excited to dive deeper into to your work and into sound and, and the vibrations that we're all a part of. Mm. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to do one. Consideration. Yes, consideration, consideration, and then Dean, Dean always brings us home. Oh, wait, so. so, okay, so yes. this is it. Um, and I have a question, a specific question on this one. To raise the sacred pipe of my being to creator and creation each morning is to bring myself into the full realization of my size and place. I belong. I am part of sacred energy, moving, spinning, growing, bringing everything into harmony. Without the sacred time of prayer and meditation... I am less able to do the work of each day. 
to reach out with empathy and compassion. I'm going to read that one more time. To raise the sacred pipe of my being to creator and creation each morning is to bring myself into the full realization of my size and place. I belong. I am part of sacred energy, moving, spinning, growing, bringing everything into harmony. Without the sacred time of prayer and meditation, I'm less able to do the work of each day to reach out with empathy and compassion. So my question is, right now, at this point in your life, right this moment, this, you know, this moment in time, what is your work of each day? What is your work of each day? What is the thing that you're bringing into each day? Dean? I think for me, it is creating that space. Mm-hmm. It's rec- the recognition that I and everyone is sacred. Mm-hmm. And that the work that I need to do is to show up to myself first and foremost so that I can show up for everyone else Mm. in my life. Mm. Thank you, thank you. Zach? Yeah, same as Dean. Just just the exact same as Dean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just want to be Dean. Just Just Dean. Dean's my pastor. Um. Uh, I heard this line lately that I've been kind of spinning and, and trying to bring into my awareness is, is listening to Bob Proctor and mm. he was saying to be interesting, be interested. Yeah. So, mm. um, you know, I think Dean and I were talking about this the other day. Like, I think I'm a really curious person, but I cherry pick who, when and where, you know, I'm mm. interested or curious. So it's being interested in, in, mm. and connected to everybody. All of it. Yes, yeah. all of it. All you know, the it. hard, the easy, the fun, the exciting. Yeah. Like, be interested in all, all of the chapters. Yeah. There's yeah. a line in a poem from, um, what is the book? Something to do with presence. And the, I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it basically says, like, um, stop paying attention to the mountains and to the crystal lakes. There's a line of people to see them, but rather, where is it that you can pay attention to that, which is like maybe not the most beautiful? Yes. And so, like, as yeah, that thing of like, I, I you don't even know what's beautiful or not beautiful yet. Yes. So yeah, I love that. Like, Thank you. What about mm. for you? Like, what's your work right now? What's your daily work? Hmm. Well, you know, I think that. My work right now is to be in alignment with mm. with the nature of the universe, which is life expanding. Mm. It wants to expand itself. Mm. And so if you're in service to that value of um, benefiting others or mm. expanding others or helping other people... Mm. Um, the universe will come in and and unfold the path for you. And mm. there's this thing that happens when you are in alignment with it that um, it will meet you halfway mm. and things will start to happen for you, mm. right? But my thing right now is just to be in alignment with... Um, what, what, whatever you want to call it, God, Spirit, the infinite intelligent mind. Yeah. 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 That's, that's what Love I'm that doing. thing of meeting, um, 
yeah, um, Sky has a beautiful opening and where he, you know, when we're giving thanks to Mother Earth, where he'll say, you know, there is the teaching is that when we give love to, to, to Mother Earth, when we give love to Mother, they always give it back tenfold. And so when you said that, I thought that like when you move in to just be in support, you, you get it back tenfold. Mm. Back tenfold. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the medicine of sound. Yeah, thanks, Mike. So good. But also, like, we definitely have to say happy birthday to Zach today, (laughs) even though it's gonna go weeks later. I know, right? Thank you. Today's my day of birth. Yeah, today's your day of birth. So happy to be here with you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Couldn't couldn't have spent it a better way than having conversations with the three of you. So thank you. Grateful. Hand it over to you, Dean. Sure. Yes. Just just to close. birthday boy and I were out on a run and he was like we had started the podcast we didn't know exactly like what direction it was going to take and we just wanted to, to start and then we're like name we need to land on a name and we're running along and Zach's like yo we should call it a little more good and I was like that's it like that's the name it just like hit me and resonated all the way through and so we just love to ask everyone who, who comes onto the show like what is that phrase or a little sentence like what does that mean to you a little more good a little more good just a little more good can have unforeseen butterfly effects that ripple out into the world mm. so little acts each day of a little more good can go further than you realize that's beautiful. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. sir. Yes, sir. This, this, the sound of goodness. Yeah. Sound of goodness. Ooh, we need a playlist for this episode. Yeah. The, sound <laughs> the sound of goodness. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. so we're so fortunate to have you, Mike, uh, share some of your story and the work that you do under um, this this cool series that we're doing with Judy as we immerse ourselves in the medicine of sound. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Thank you, guys. Love you. Yeah. All right, folks. There you have it. You're probably vibrating with the sounds, the frequencies, maybe wanting to put on some of your favorite soundscape playlists or just dive into Mike's uh, SoundQuest Instagram or his YouTube channel. Or like I said, if, if uh, if what Mike was saying was resonating with you uh and you're in the lower mainland check out one of his sound baths it'd be a cool experience for you and and mike is just uh, such a wonderful person we're also always very grateful to judy for bringing these amazing people into our orbit and helping to share their story as long as as well as some uh, considerations and contemplations of her own all right yes thank you for sharing your time with us this week we're always grateful for those that tune in and have made it this far if you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, we are super, super grateful for any follows, reviews, shares, uh, wherever you are tuning in, whether that's Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, wherever that might be. Uh, reviews and uh, follows and, and likes go a long way in allowing us to share share the goodness that we uh, do our best to do every single week. So thank you. Grateful for you all. And we'll see you all next week. That's right. Stay good, y'all. Peace.